morning we are coming to the end of this uh, portion of scripture it's known as the Sermon on the Mount and um, really it's it's not so much a summation but it's sort of uh, where Jesus is wrapping it up by basically saying what are you going to do with all this that you've been teaching? And so that's, that's where we're at here. And the last lesson where uh, Chris was teaching, Jesus was getting into this. There are two, there are two sides, two paths. There's... Um, obedience and disobedience and talking about a tree you'll know tree for this is dealing specifically with false prophet prophets but there's two messages there's a true message and a false and you'll know by the fruit that's being born um, just like a tree with good fruit or a tree with bad fruit you know what the tree is made of and then the most ultimate and terrifying <laughs> um, place or event where this will become evident is in the final judgment when every one of us, every person born who's ever lived will stand before Christ and there will be one of two events, either, or one of two outcomes. Either Jesus says, I know you, or I don't know you. And, and so that's, with, with truth, with these things that Jesus is teaching, there's, there's no gray area. It's, it's black or white. It's one way or the other. And so, as he sums it up, we're coming to this thing saying, you know, what are you going to do with it? And so, beginning, uh, this, it's chapter 7, Matthew 7, 24 through the end. And I'll just go ahead and read that. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, 
for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So, what I think what Jesus, what, one thing that can sort of sum up what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about, what he's teaching, and what I think had been started to get into the last, um, leading up to this, but is where is, what is your authority? Um, all these things, there were a lot of people that heard these teachings while he was teaching it. There are a lot of people who've read these, these teachings, a lot of people who have, who can even recite these, who know them by memory. Yet, you can you wouldn't be able to say that they are under the authority of these things. And so there are consequences to not only knowing the truth, but, but living by it. And that's what he's getting to. Um, yeah, we're in uh, Matthew 7, 24 to the end. So there's, um, and, and this theme is carried on, you know, really throughout, well, throughout all the scripture, really. Um, a lot of this wasn't, a lot of the things Jesus was, was saying, really all through this whole, these whole few chapters, the things that he'd been teaching and what he's saying now, weren't necessarily, all of it wasn't brand new. In fact, most of it were the kind of things that, a true follower who was um, really living according to the word and remember that Jesus was, he was um, professing what he knew from the scriptures and scriptures then being the Old Testament. And any faithful follower of Jesus would have known these things at least the essential truths of him. Now, of course, Jesus presented them in a way that was unlike any other teaching, which has sort of become evident um, at, right here at the very end. But it wasn't um, a faithful follower at that time. A faithful follower of the law would have been living out these things, at least in, in their very essence. And so, but what Jesus is, he of course presented them in a brand new way and really got at the root of what was essential to all the truths that God had given them through the law and the prophets. But Jesus, you know, is saying, what is your authority, and are you living by these? Um, th these are reflected throughout the, the rest of the New Testament. It, James in particular, really, there's a lot of, in James, um, you really sort of get the sense of 
the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, you can really see where that, um, the influence is, is really strong and evident in that. Um, turn to James 3. James 3, 13 through 18. Did someone want to volunteer to read that? Through his wives and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast to be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right, so, I mean, there, there are dozens of passages we could have gone to throughout the, the New Testament that sort of presents this, but here's one example that there, there are two sides, two ways of acting, two ways of behaving, two categories of behavior, um, and they're black and white. They're, one is completely unlike the other. And you're either on one side acting in one way, or you're on the other side acting the other way. And so there are, so here, you know, he gives examples. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, um, jealousy, uh, every vile practice. On the other hand, there's actions that are pure, peaceable, uh, gentleness, mercy, um, sincere, impartial, completely unlike the other. So Jesus is laying out what, what is laid out throughout that there are, there's no middle ground. There's obedience, disobedience, and then what, is, what he ties that to is there's wisdom, there's wise living, and there's unwise living. And so, if we look at this, you'll, you'll know that they're very similar in that there's a house, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. So, in both cases, there's this object, the same object, there's a house. And in both of these cases, the same thing happens. So, you know, just like in life, as we know, as, as believers, as followers in Christ, we're not, we're not shielded from all the things um, of the world, all the things that happen to everyone in the world. We'll... Um, But what's the difference? So what's the difference in these two? Those are the things that are the same, but what are the differences in these two? Um, foundation. The foundation, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the foundation of the, 
built in the rock, the, the, the foundation is solidly fixed in the solid ground, the solid rock. And then the other one is not so solid, it's sand, it moves about, it can, and so as a, and in the, the book that I was preparing that talked about worldview, and I think there is, I mean, I think that is some, to a certain extent, that's maybe what's reflected here is, is a person's worldview. Um, and, you know, I think we sort of know that uh, there's a lot of worldviews out there that are just, um, they don't make sense. It's, I mean, they're very subjective. It's, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know if, how many sort of came out of that, grew up with that kind of thing, but at least we, we know people have had conversations where it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's like, sort of like um, fixing to, trying to fix your hope on something that is so moving and so subjective. It's almost like, how could that be a source of hope? I mean, do you all have examples of, of that kind of thing? Yeah, it's amazing with that water coming in, in the sand, changing and changing and changing. This is, I know that with science, like science has changed many times over yeah. its opinions about huge, huge foundational truths in our, in our world, yeah. well, hypotheses. Yeah. It's changed many, many times. And uh, people treat it as direct, absolute truth but it has changed many, many times yeah. over the course of a very short amount of time. Whereas the Bible for thousands of years has stayed the exact same. It's just our, our view of it has changed. Yeah. It's a science of mind. <clears throat> yeah. It, anyone else? Well, I don't know if this is, but it's kind of like what I was talking to you about this morning on the way to church. For me, it's, where is my foundation? Is my foundation in this earth? I mean, you know, in, in the secular world? Or is my foundation in the spiritual world? Meaning, is my foundation rooted in God? And am I going to follow the way that God wants me to go? Or am I going to follow the way the world wants me to go? Because if I go the way the world wants me to go, I'm almost certainly going to sink. But if I go the way that God wants me to go, then there's nothing that can ever, ever shake my foundation. Yeah. So whatever comes at me, whether it's any type of storm, whether it's you know a personal storm or an um, environmental storm or whatever the case may be, I'm still going to be standing because my foundation is rooted in God and I know that all of this that happens over here is for his glory and for my good, no matter how bad it may seem, but this is my strong foundation. Yeah. And so I can't let the world, that's like Chris used the example of the sand coming up and pulling me out and yeah. knocking me out my foundation because it's not Does anyone know? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the beauty of all this out of my life 
at jazz. God chases me and brings me back. Not yeah. I run away from him, and he always brings me back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And so, you know, yeah, the foundation, if the foundation is, is using this, you know, Jesus metaphor here, if the foundation is solid, you know, the house can, maybe, the, the, maybe it sways, maybe the upper rafters or something are swaying, but, and it, might, and it might be, you know, something that brings fear or trepidation because of the storm outside yet. The, you know, the very foundation won't be uh, broken or destroyed. Yeah, good point. I was thinking how he was talking to the religious establishment here and how they have embraced the surface, um, you know, or out in the chair and stuff. And how the foundation of the building, you don't really see it until mm. the weather hits. Mm. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. That's really profound. Yeah. Um, these things might not be evident, and, and I think. For a lot of people, I mean, we use the, you know, sort of, we use that phrase, you know, when the storm comes, weathering the storm and things like that. It's, um, for a lot of people, they probably don't even see their own need. They, they. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, from a, from a perspective of sort of an even evangelical or evangelizing perspective, a lot of people, I think, we should see the opportunity when people are faced with these storms and stuff, even um, maybe with a tough ex exterior, whatever, this is a time when people will be a lot of times we'll be questioning the foundation. They'll be realizing that this, these things that I thought were, you know, my foundation or I thought that I've built my house on um, aren't, you know, realize it's not such a firm foundation. Um, go ahead, Chris. There's also, there's this, I don't know how long, it's, maybe some of the older people here have seen it for a while, but there's this movement that's been happening, especially in our American culture, called, it was based off of emotivism, that all truth is based off of people's emotions. Yeah. And it's becoming a huge problem. Yeah. And it has no foundation at all, and it's constantly changing. It's, it's to the point where people are saying things are true, and they're questioning why, and they're saying, because there's a lot of people that feel that way. Yeah. It's like, but that's not what happened in history. Yeah. Um, it's just completely, we're losing it. Well, in, well, I mean, it's a, it's a very good tactic by the devil, is what I really mean. It, the light is not lost, the darkness will lose, but... Yeah, and that's really, you see that in, that's sort of expressed through this whole cancel culture now, it's like, because, you know, it's like you've, people are driven by their, what they're supposed to feel at the moment about a certain issue, and so that's what's expected, and it really, I mean, talk about shifting sand, it's like, People can't even keep up with what is accepted and what's not accepted. And you see these, you know, you read about where someone is like totally shocked that something they tweeted or whatever 
got this firestorm and it's like, what, what did I do? What did I say? And it's like, oh, okay, that's not acceptable now. And so, you know, it's like you can't keep up. I mean, that's sort of like a real visible <laughs> of shifting sand, but it's like, uh, but I think it goes to that. It's sort of like feeling. What is the feeling? What's the prevailing mood of the moment? And it, it's trying to creep into the church. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to many Christians who are like, and it's not that feelings are useless, but there are times where it's like, you'll speak to a Christian whose circumstances could only call for joy. And they're just like, but I feel so bad. Yeah. It's like, if you look to the, look to the object of what you've been given in this moment, you can't only operate on the feeling. Yeah. Well, the thing is, get you emotionally involved instead of what's reasonable. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you know, you react to your emotions, in other words, you know, stir you up so in other words you do what they want you to do, or go have a riot, or who knows what. And if there's no, sometimes that's the only thing, if there's no firm foundation, Sometimes, I mean, that's all there is. So it's sort of like people are grasping at something because they have no foundation. And so that's... I've been hearing this for a couple of years because it goes on Christmas where it's creeping into the churches. I know that we're like some of the churches, there's one pastor I listened to and he's talked about it a lot, I think like in North Carolina and some of these other places where the churches were struggling to keep up, you know, their their funds were being depleted, so what they did is they started um, renting out the churches to other religions to use or something, and like one big one was Islam, they were letting that then use the church and stuff, and so the Muslims were coming in and saying, well, we, we really want to rent this, your church out you know, for our services, but that cross is offensive to us. Is there any way it can be taken down? So they're taking them down and then they're not putting it back up. And so, you know, when I see, for me, when I see the cross, that's my foundation. That's, I mean, you know, um, that's my reminder of who I'm supposed to be grounded in. You know, out of our courthouses, he's been definitely taken out of the schools. He's taken out of everywhere. So that foundation is being shoved aside, mm-hmm. so to speak. Now, um, now I, w- <clears throat> I was telling someone recently that I was, as I studied this, I was a little surprised because I've always taken this to sort of mean Sorry, to be referring sort of at wisdom in in living, um, having a firm foundation, um, living a wise life according to the teachings of Jesus will bring um, 
blessing in this world from what he's living. That's all true. We know that's true because scripture says, uh, talks about that, you know, Proverbs a lot. Talks about living wise, living foolishly, and seeing blessing or, or you know, calamity as a result. But um, one thing that was pointed out in some of the reading I was doing is that ultimately what Jesus is referring to, tell me if you all agree or not, that ultimately the, the point of this is really final judgment, that this is referring to um, <clears throat> having a firm foundation in the judgment when we, when we stand before God in the judgment is our foundation. What have we built our lives on in order to be able to stand in the judgment? Um, I don't know. It seems like, like I sort of missed that. Does it, anyone else have comments on that? Because I, I've always, you know, this is something I've read, I don't know how many times, and it's been, Recite, and I, in my mind, I'm always thinking of sort of wisdom and you know blessing on this earth. But really, it's in their opinion, this is more of a final judgment kind of um, thing, which would go right along with what was just preceding it. So, sort of in that context, but. Um, Yeah. Right. It's just scary because we all need to like 
be introspective and think about that. Do I, am I, do I have union with Christ or do I have some thing I've created in my own mind that's got to give me, as they say, fire insurance. Like, there's no such thing as fire insurance. Yeah. In my reading of the scripture. Well, yeah, it's, um, I think, I think what you said is, is true, you, that little comment you said, they didn't really want it. They didn't want the Jesus that um, requires obedience, and that is, and so, and that, you know, Jesus divides these two um, outcomes by the <clears throat> by the word that he does them so the word do basically and uh, again in James we're told to be not just hearers of the word but what doers right so um, we need to we need to have the content. We need to know the what is being commanded of us. But just knowing it, I mean, that's what good is that? <laughs> that's no no good by itself if we don't do it. Well, this is more or less an example from the what we'd call the construction industry, in other words. But well, we can look at something modern day. Creation versus evolution. Do you want to believe the guy when he told how it was done? Or do you want to believe some speculation of, uh, hey, this is the way I speculate or I think, yeah. where they they weren't there, they didn't see it, they didn't, you know, in other words, yeah. they, more or less, they didn't like the uh, explanation of the guy that did it, in other words, how God did it, the creation thing, versus, yeah. hey, I'd like, you know, I don't like it, you know. So I'll invent my way of, you can see over the ages, in other words, they had, evolution is probably the latest one. Back in the old days, they had a multitude of gods that did it all, and then this yeah. and that. Yeah. So once, you know, hey, that don't look good. And so they get a new story because they don't like the story, which yeah. the guy that did it. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that, I mean, the most, um, it's sort of like the most, this the simplest, most obvious explanation for how all of this got here is that God created it, where the kind of convoluted, totally filled with all sorts of complexity and, you know, even getting to the point, well, you know, it's just random accidental things that somehow came together. I mean, how could you come up with that unless you were trying, like you're saying, trying to find a way to, to get God out of the picture, you, you, you know, you, and it's, and that even the, you know, the science behind that is always changing because when discoveries come along and they realize, well, this doesn't quite work out that way, or the, you know, the, the well, archaeology doesn't support. Public schools, in other words, 
Back in the early days of this country, you know, your Bible was one of your main textbooks. Mm -hmm. For the most part, from what I hear, it's not even allowed. Yeah. <laughs> or something, in other words, but you know, evolution or secular humanism, which is the official name, yeah. is the official religion of public school now. Yeah. In science, science got its start by people wanting to understand the workings of this universe that God created. They wanted to understand how, did, how does God make this all work. That because God's an orderly God, his creation is orderly. We want to understand how that works. That was the beginning of science, you know. Yeah. So, well, with science is things that you can see and it's repeatable. Yeah. But this evolution stuff, you don't see it. It's not repeatable. It's all speculation. Yeah. So in my opinion, the, there's only one scientific thing about evolution. The guys that purport it want to call themselves scientists. <laughs> That's about the only thing I can see yeah. scientific about. That's a good point. They claim to be scientists. Yeah. Go through your, your final judgment. Yeah, I think I totally, I think I totally missed that sometimes. I think I'm thinking a lot about the building of the house, even like what he was just talking about. Yeah. The difference between a Christian building their house is as they're building it, they can go outside and be like, is the foundation still good? It's good. Okay, I checked it. Wait, let me check it and understand it a little bit better. Okay, I understand that. The person trying to build it on science and evolution is going outside like, oh, things have shifted here. Okay, let me try to fix all of it. So what you're saying is this storm that's coming by their opinion, the storm is coming, that's the final judgment. And I was just thinking about that, and that makes a lot of sense, because I feel like these people, the biggest storm that they know of at this point was the flood. And then he, yeah. he was a huge judgment. And yeah. then God told them, I'm not gonna do that again, uh, to kill to kill all people. Yeah. So this new, this new one is like, it's not the world's being flooded, but your house needs to stand. Yeah. And um, yeah, the author of this, this book here talks a lot about and as Jews they would have understood the, the symbology of storm, the coming storm that was used a lot in the prophets, particularly Jeremiah and Isaiah talking about the storm that was coming, it was judgment um, obviously I'll read this little blurb here, it says we must hear Jesus when he says there is a storm coming, he's not talking about what we so often identify as the storms of life, which is what I always thought of it those storms are real and they are painful, storms like cancer, divorce, losing a loved one, and the Bible certainly addresses them. However, Jesus is referring to a cataclysmic reality, the final and utterly devastating storm of the future judgment of God. So, at least in these authors' opinion is that that was the primary emphasis of this, and it, it makes sense as I start to look at it that way, but nonetheless, it is true, this being applied just as living a wise life of obedience um, certainly brings blessings in, in this life. Um, as opposed to living a foolish life of obedience. Um, even as followers of Christ, we can, you know, we can slip into the, 
having our foundation built on sand, at least in a certain metaphorical sense. However, ultimately, the ultimate sense, obviously, and what we should be ensuring within ourselves is, is our foundation built on sand? Are we one who Jesus says, I knew you? I think we kind of said that, but can't both of those things, as a famous Jewish person I know, says both things can be true. Uh, in other words, long, if, if, we, if, if our foundation is built solid, even the small things, quote unquote, you know, trials and tribulations, but also that proves to us that because of the small things we go through, even when the big things come, a.k.a. judgment, yep. it's going to be solved. Yeah. I think so, yeah. You saw they're both true. Yeah. And, and I would say that, as I thought it through it, I think it's, I had thought it that way. It's definitely in context where you're thinking, it, yeah, I can see how it could be more of a big, mm-hmm. big judgment, but it's also true with even yeah. our smaller things. And, yeah. And that should give us some encouragement, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if God helps us, uh, I don't know, get money for lunch one day, uh, he'll be able to feed us uh, two years from now, or whatever it is, right? Whatever, you know, yeah. small things. Yeah I, yeah, I agree with you. I think I do agree with that. So it can be, the application is on a number of levels. I mean, that's, I think a lot of scripture, a lot of Jesus' words are, are that way. And so, um, so just, just to make things complete, I, I got to read a Charles Spurgeon uh, quote here. So it says, yet, okay, so speaking of the, um, foolish, the, the one who did not build his house on, on the rock. Yet though he was industrious, he was foolish. The crash was terrible. The sound was heard afar. The overflow was final and irretrievable. Many heard the fall. Many more saw the ruins as they remained a perpetual memorial of the results of what folly, which is satisfied with hearing and neglects doing. So, in other words, be doers of the word (laughs) and not merely hearers. James said it better. (laughs) Um, So, let's move on. So, verse 28 then, we sort of, so we're getting, we're wrapping this up and it's talking about the response. What is cool, which I, which I hadn't seen before, is this is sort of a bracket, sort of an end bracket to the sermon. And it's, uh, so if you go back, uh, Matthew 5, 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and you come back here. And so verse 28, 728. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And so there's just this uh, sort of this bracketing that here he is, he saw them, he opened his mouth and taught, and here at the end, he's done, and they're astonished at what came out of his mouth. And 
one thing that um, that I really learned in this, another thing that I had not seen, which was brought out in some of my reading as I prepared, was <clears throat> I'd always sort of thought this being the skill of Jesus' teaching. The astonishment was at the skill of his teaching. Jesus was the best teacher who ever <laughs> walked this earth. Um, and, but I think there's something more than that here. I think what was being recognized here is that this was not just a teacher. I think what was being recognized here was that this is um, maybe maybe this is the Messiah. This is the king. This is one who has authority, and that's the thing. Um, one who has authority, not as their scribes. So, um, what do you all think? Mike, something just occurred to me. I know we were talking about that last week, but how strange this must have been for him in verse 26 to say, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do it. Like, wow. There's a good defense for people who deny the, the, the deity of Christ from the standpoint of you shall only worship one God and how can Jesus be? But uh, here he is basically saying, what can you call him other than God? And he says, in the same way that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, do these words of mine and keep them and you will live. Jesus is saying, do these words of mine. What? Yeah. That's crazy. So like, he taught not as one who was just a really good teacher, like you said, but these words have the authority of life and death. Well, then he says in 21, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will I ever be in heaven? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. I well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never think of the Sermon on the Mount as being like an apology for the deity of Christ, but it's like, now it's just jumping off the page. Yeah. Well, you know, even when he went, got left behind there at the temple there as a child, you know, the, the authorities were amazed at his, uh, you know, questions and yeah. responses and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with the prophets, but I know a lot of these people might be thinking, like, well, in the garden there was prophets and offspring of a woman. This guy's talking like. <laughs> yeah. And there's been hints along the way like that his throne would last forever and things like that. And there's probably a lot more problems, but I see why people will be astonished. Yeah, and it's um there's a certain flow in in so in Matthew there's a certain flow and it's like he gives this teaching here and it's almost like right here and I'd never caught this but they were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority not like the scribes and then from here on you start to see 
the authority of Jesus displayed as the king, you know, that's sort of the, the theme of this book, Jesus the King. And in fact, if you look at just immediately following this in chapter 8, um, well, Jesus, he cleanses a leper. He shows his authority over disease, over the natural world. But you'll see the faith of Centurion. In fact, let's go ahead and just read through that a little bit. In Matthew 8, starting at 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, another one come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus did this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So, it, right there, I mean, it just, the authority. This is the one, this is a display of the authority that these people who heard these teaching just realized that this was the one who had authority. More or less explaining the principle of authority and how it works. Yeah. And the centurion believed he had the authority to do it, so. Well, also pointing out just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you're going to be saved. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Because he, I mean, what a, what a, what a thing for the Jews to say this Roman soldier here is going to be saved and have better more belief than you and you guys are going to basically go to hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That'd be a slap in the face, wouldn't it? Are you kidding me? Some, probably invaded. And let's read, some, I'll have someone read how the, how the Gospel of Matthew finishes up and sort of... Uh, I guess, puts a punctuation mark on this whole thing. Uh, tw Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Someone want to take that? Really, really quick before they take it, just a one second. Uh, because of COVID, there were some classes that were offset, just so people know. There'll be two more classes after this that were supposed to happen earlier. Yeah. So still, still take it in, like the finishing of this, yeah. but we are going to come back to some of the most intense ones with lost and divorce for the next couple of weeks. But anyway, let's do this. 2816? Yeah, Matthew 2816 through the end. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
all authority is given in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so this, so yes, this authority that these listeners of Jesus, those who heard his teaching, um, they were amazed because he was teaching as one who had authority. Well, yes, he did have this authority. He does. He does. And um, he, and the amazing thing is, his authority that he possesses inherently because of who he is, he has bestowed upon us the privilege of participating in that authority, not because of the authority that we have, but the authority that he has. He's charged us and privileged us to go out and to take his authority to, and spread spread the gospel, spread the word, spread his truth, and um, the power of his authority will, he'll use that then to, um, to save men, to, sp to spread his kingdom. Think about the implications of that for the church. Just like think through Matthew. Matthew 16, Peter confesses that he is the Christ and he says, upon this rock I will build my church, which I take to be the confession that Jesus is Lord. And the gates of hell will prevail against it and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So whatever you bind, whatever you lose, you know, uh, I give you that authority. And now, all authority of heaven has been given to me. Therefore, you go out with the authority I've given you. And so it tells me, like, wow, what an awesome privilege. Like, what we're doing right now. What we're going to do in the worship service. So long as it is us basically just transmitting the message. Mm -hmm. If it's transmitting the message that Jesus is Lord and let's seek to come under his lordship in everything we do, then... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to us in that mission. Yeah. I'm trying to pump us up. Yeah. Like, wow, what an awesome stewardship we have. Uh, what an awesome power we've been given. At the same time, like, may we never, like, if church becomes about something other than delivering this message, then we've, like, totally messed it up. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, you're making me think of, like, what a tragedy it is for people who believe that, even if they believe that Christ did these things, that, yeah, there was a man who was here and taught amazing things and did amazing miracles, but he was killed. And that's it. You know, you can be like, it's such a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> sure, like, you know, he spoke with authority and he was establishing this good kingdom and they killed him for it. Yeah. And then he continues it and defeats death and now you can, you can live forever. Like, they, they miss all of them. Yeah. That authority is so important. Yeah, I mean, without, I mean, if it, 
the cross without, you know, the resurrection, the, the death of Christ without the resurrection, yeah, I mean, meaningless, because Christ declared he had authority over sin and death, and, I mean, yeah, it's like that's, that's our life. Our life is basically a testament to the authority that God has, you know, over that. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, so I, I reflect just myself and how I approach things, how I approach, you know, wanting to go and share, share the good news with the coworker. Um, and I, yeah, I look back, do I really approach it this way? Do I approach it as um, carrying out the authority of Christ to, to you know, bring this forth to the world? And uh, it's like most of the time, no, I'm, no, I don't really think of it in that way. You know, even, you know, Obviously, God uses when we stumble and bumble our way through and maybe present it, you know, sort of with trepidation. And, and uh, <clears throat> God uses that because God's gracious and stuff. But how much greater it would be if in my, in my mind, in my heart, I'm thinking, oh, yes, I'm doing this with the authority of Jesus himself, which he has given because Jesus does have authority. He has authority over every moment, over every heart, you know, and and so. Um, but um, so, I'll finish it up with another Spurgeon quote. <laughs> they like Spurgeon here. I do too. So <laughs> it says, "He spoke royally. The truth itself was its own argument." and demonstration. He taught prophetically as one inspired from above. Men felt that he spoke after the manner of one sent of God. It was no fault on their part to be astonished, but it was a grave crime to be astonished and nothing more. <laughs> <laughs>